Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, good morning, Hope. How are we? Good. There's a few awake people. Good to see you. If this is your first time joining us, a special welcome to you. You should know that we are in the middle of a relationship series that we're calling House of Cards, The Illusion of a Perfect Family. We've talked about dating. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about that thing that is a cool part of marriage. Uh, we talked about uh, husbands last week. And actually, I heard a lot of good feedback. We talked about what the Bible has to say. Uh, a few people bought minivans instead of trucks. They sent me emails to let me know. Um, and it was really cool. After every service, there was... Dozens of women that walked up to me with their husbands arm in arm, just beaming, saying, this is the man who loves me like Jesus. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm like, man, that is what it's all about. Uh, well, this week, uh, we are going to be talking about what the Bible has to say about wives. Let me say that again. What the Bible has to say about wives, not what I have to say. And uh, you may have noticed I have a helmet up here on stage. It's making its first appearance in one of my sermons. This is my preaching helmet. Um, it's new. And, uh, you know, sometimes you give a sermon and people love it. And they share it on social media and uh, they greet you with, uh, they slap your hand in the auditorium for a big high five, smiling and beaming. Other sermons you give, people don't love so much and uh, they don't share it as often on social media. They avoid eye contact in the atrium afterwards. They want to slap not your hand, but your face. So uh, I have this up here for my protection. Uh, I am just the mail carrier. I did not write the Bible. I am just explaining it. Uh, and maybe I'll wear this in the atrium afterwards. We'll see. I'll ask you at the end if I need it. But my, my hope is, and my thinking is, I don't think I will need it, uh, because I think what you'll find is really how affirming the Bible is to women at the end of this. You'll see how uh, respectful and affirming Jesus is towards wives especially. In fact, it always strikes me as odd when people say, you know, I don't like the Bible because it treats women as second-class citizen. It's not pro-woman. The Bible is emphatically pro-woman. In fact, that's one of the main reasons the Romans persecuted the early church because they had this crazy idea that women had the same dignity and worth as every other human being. That's why they were persecuted. In fact, if you just flip through the first few pages of just the New Testament, you will see this play out. In Matthew, the first book of the Bible and the first chapter, it gives us a genealogy of Jesus where it chases, traces a genealogy's family tree all the way back to Adam. And there's three women in that record at a time where men, women were not included in historical records. Uh, in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, God kind of puts a spotlight on two women, Elizabeth, the, the mom of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and it shows how he used them to usher in the kingdom of God. Uh, Anna is a prophetess, a woman prophet that anoints Jesus or blesses Jesus at his birth. Uh, Jesus was a, a crazy rabbi in that he invited women as well as men to be a part of his followers. Um, God saw fit that women were the only only eyewitnesses to the resurrection, which is kind of the cornerstone of our faith, and they were key leaders in the early church. So you can't pick up the Bible and not see women playing a huge part 
and God's plan. And that's my hope. By the end of this, you will see that God wants to and can use you in a big way to expand his, uh, his kingdom, to impact this world. And one of the main ways he wants to use you and work through you is through the way that you tell your part of the story of the gospel and the way that you love your husband and the way that you respond to your husband. So uh, last week we saw that husbands had two callings from God. Anybody remember what they are? sacrificial leadership, sacrificial love, and protective leadership. Those are the two callings of husbands. Uh, I'm going to spoil this whole sermon up front and tell you uh, what women's calling is. And it's just one, okay? It's just one. Um, and uh, it works itself out in different ways. So I'm going to say this, and I'll explain it over the next few minutes. But God's calling for wives is courageous and compelling submission. God's calling for wives is courageous and compelling submission. I need this yet? No? Okay. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week, uh, we were in Ephesians chapter 5. If you're here uh, for the first time and wondering why in the world are you picking these verses to preach from, it's because they're the only ones in the Bible. So last week, we went through the marriage chapter that has a little bit for wives and a lot for husbands. Uh, this morning, we're going to go through one that has a lot for wives and a little bit for husbands. And I'm just going to read this all the way through, and then we will take it apart piece by piece. But Peter says this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now there's tons of stuff in this chapter, uh, but I'm just gonna draw out a few uh, themes. The first thing that you need to see is that Peter begins this section with a really important word. And anytime you're studying the Bible, that is something good to keep in mind. Every single word matters. Every single word is inspired. And if you miss this first word, you kind of miss the larger point of what Peter's saying here. He begins this chapter with the word likewise. Everyone say likewise. Or in the same way as. So apparently we are jumping into the middle of a longer conversation. And we are. We're jumping into the middle of a longer conversation about this whole idea of submission. And this is very, very helpful because if you look up at the two paragraphs that are before chapter 3, you see Peter saying in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, all Christians be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then later in 18, he says, servants or employees be subject to your masters or your bosses with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. And so Peter's been spending time calling all Christians to different types of submission in different spheres of life. And so wives is just in a section, uh, in the, is a section in a longer dialogue about how all of us are called to submit. Now, if you were to do a Bible study word search and you typed in, like go to BibleGateway.com and typed in submit or submission, you'll see a ton of verses pop up. And what you see is this idea of submission is all over the Bible. Uh, Jesus, even though he was equal to the Father, he was equally um, God, he still chose to voluntarily submit himself to the Father's will. He prayed the night before he died, not my will, but yours be done. That's like the definition of submission. Uh, we as Christians are called to submit our entire lives to Jesus and to God. 
Uh, every single Christian is called to submit themselves to the governing authorities, uh, to their bosses, to parents, to the leaders of a church. In Ephesians 5, every single person in this room right now is to submit to one another, uh, submitting to one another in reverence for the Lord. Uh, we're supposed to submit to the highway patrol. We're supposed to submit to the IRS at tax time. We're supposed to submit to all kinds of people. In fact, every single person is called to submit to each other in every relationship because every relationship has some measure of give and take. We're taught to prefer one another. And so the first thing that you need to see is that all Christians are called to submit to many different people in many different spheres in life. And so submission is not just reserved for wives. If you hate the idea of submission, you have to rip whole pages out of your Bible. In fact, that's what Christianity basically is. It's picking up your cross and submitting yourself to the lordship of our Savior Jesus. And so Peter's just pointing out that this same type of submission that we're called to in these different spheres in life, they need to be a part of a godly marriage. He's saying, so in the same way, wives, make this type of submission a part of your relationship with your husband. But Peter's also careful to tell us what this submission is and what it isn't, because it's a little bit different than submission to employees or to government. He says this, uh, be subject to your own husbands. So if you're a wife here, raise your hand. If you're with your husband, all right, look over at your husband. That's the dude that, Paul, that Peter's talking about. Now look at me. He's not talking about me. Look to the other guys in the room. He ain't talking about them either. So he doesn't say women submit to men. That is nowhere in the Bible. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. So if you want to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, go do it. If you want to be a boss or a leader, and that includes oversight or the leadership of men, do it for the glory of God, right? And we need more of you. There's nothing in the Bible about all women submitting to all men. That is not what this type of submission means. In fact, let me give you some other things that this type of submission does not mean. Uh, it doesn't mean inequality. God didn't look at your husband and said, man, he is way more gifted and qualified than you to, to do this whole leadership thing. Uh-uh. You are way better at your husband at certain things. And he has certain gifts and talents that you do. So this has nothing to do with giftedness or with ability. Uh, secondly, it also doesn't mean unconditional submission. Now, guys, as husbands, we are called to unconditionally love and protect our wives, no matter how they respond, no matter what they're doing. Wives, you are not called to unconditional submission. In fact, there are many times where you are commanded to not submit. There's a few stories in the Old Testament where a husband wanted to do something dumb and the wife said, no, uh-uh, and did the exact opposite, and she's applauded. She's lifted up as an example of a godly woman. So listen, you do not follow your husband into sin. You never do that. You never follow your husband into a decision that might harm you or harm your family. This also means that you do not endure any sort of abuse whatsoever, whether that's verbal, financial, emotional, sexual, physical. In those cases, submission is completely off the table, and you call one of the pastors here, one of the leaders here, we want to walk through that, that season with you. So it's not unconditional. It's also not something done to you. It's something that you voluntarily do. So husbands, you should never, ever, ever demand that your wife submit. If your husband does that, you call me and I'll work it out with him, okay? In fact, husbands, I don't think that you should even ask. This is between her and God. 
You work on being the type of loving and protecting and sacrificial husband that she would want to follow, but you don't ask. This is not something that is done to her. It's something that she voluntarily does. And lastly, submission is not black and white. So the only explanation we have of of wives submitting to husbands is in Ephesians chapter 5. It's very short. And this chapter that we just read. And if you'll notice, there's not a list of do's and don't do's. There's not a clear set uh, set of rules. There's not in this situation, this is what this looks like. In this situation, no. It's going to look different in every single marriage. So God isn't talking about a job description. It's more of a disposition. It's more of an overall approach to marriage that's going to play out differently in every single relationship. So if that's what submission is not, what does submission look like in a marriage? What is it? What's a good definition? Well, uh, this is mine that I put together this week. I um, uh, uh, hold on to the right to change my opinion later in life. But just taking all the verses and stuff and putting them together, this is the best thing that I could come up with. Here's what I say. Submission is a voluntary disposition to affirm your husband's calling to lead and to use your gifts to help him do that. So it's a voluntary disposition to affirm your husband's calling, the weight of responsibility that God has given him, and and this, this disposition, how can I help? How can I partner with you? So when you get married, here's how I think about it. When you say I do on that day in front of your your friends and in front of God, it's like the moment you say I do, God kind of takes the two of you and says, all right, there's some stuff that you got to know before you continue in this marriage thing. So I want to talk to you privately. So wife, you stay right here. I'm going to go talk to the husband. So God takes your husband into like a private room and they're there for a while. It's like an hour or two or three or four. And finally, when God's done talking to your husband, your husband comes out and you're like, have you been crying? Like he's a little shaky. He's a little intimidated. Uh, and yet there's this, there's this commitment. You can just see him, I'm, I'm ready to storm a hill. And so God kind of takes your husband to be with you, and he, then he looks at you and says, all right, I've talked to your husband. I've told him exactly what it is that I expect of him, what his responsibility is. I've talked to him about consequences, all that sort of stuff. And I want you to know that I'm going to be with him and give him everything that he needs to love and to protect, and I'm going to be with you as well. But now here's what I want you to do. I want you to help him live up to the calling that I've just given him. I want you to help him live up to everything that I've just called him to. And you say, okay, okay. That's what biblical submission is. It's the realization of this immense responsibility your husband has and this disposition of how can I help? How can I support? And your husband needs your support. Your family can't live up to the mission that God has called you guys to without your help, without your support. Now, when your husband is doing his part, when he's sacrificing and he's dying to himself and he is loving and he is serving and he is preferring you and he's doing everything in his power to guide and protect so that you and your family flourishes, this is a joy to do. In fact, husbands, this is your number one job, to make sure that this whole submission thing is easy and it's a joy for your wife to do. So practically, what does this look like? And I even hesitate to give practical examples because this will look different in every single marriage, absolutely every single one. So I'm going to throw out some stuff, but again, it could look very different depending on, on your marriage. So let's say that as a husband, you notice that your family's gotten off track financially and uh, you're heading down a wrong path. So you have a a talk with your wife, like we're just not in a good place. I wanna get us back on track. Godly submission would be something like, that's awesome. I realize that too, how can I help? 
when do you want to set a time to meet so we can discuss this? You want me to track all of our expenses the past few months and kind of put them down on a spreadsheet? You want to pray about this? You want me to put some ideas about what some financial goals we might have? How can I support? How can I help? Um, It might be that your husband gets an offer uh, at a, a better job in a different city. And that's a big decision that affects your family. And so you say, okay, how can I help? Do you want me to look at the the housing markets? You want me to research some of the school districts and look at that paperwork? You want me to to plan a trip to that new city to kind of get a feel for it so we can come together and have all the information that we need to make a good decision for our family? It might look like that. Or you as the wife might be the breadwinner. You might be the one that primarily works. And you get a job offer for a higher level of leadership, but that means more hours. It means less vacation. So it means, okay, let's, let's get together, husband, and talk. Is this what's best for our family? Yeah, there's more money, but is this going to help our family flourish? Let's pray about this. Let's think about this, okay? It looks different, but you, you, you see this disposition of how can I help? How can I partner with you? How can I use my gifts as you lead our family towards what God has for us? Um, in 2014... I felt the call to plant a church, to start a, a church from scratch. And it was, a, it was in January 2014. It was the craziest thing ever. I talked with my wife. This is nuts, but this is what I'm feeling. She's like, I can see that. I can see how God would be leading us there. And I knew what that, would meant, that, that meant for me. It means that I, I would have to leave my job at Hope. Um, I would have to uh, figure out a way to make money. I would have to figure out fundraising. I would have to gather a launch team, somehow convince a handful of people to move to a different city with us. I'd have to figure out what city that was. Um, And so uh, Jenny understood the weight of that, and she was my right-hand woman. She was my partner. Where's that noise? There we go. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, Neil. I'm ADD squirrel. Okay. So she was my partner in that, and... um, To make money, I would actually have to go to Maryland. It's the only way I could make money. I drove to Maryland on Sunday evenings to work for my brother-in-law's construction company. I put 12 to 14-hour days in Monday through Friday and then came back to see my family on the weekend. I did that for five months. Uh, I worked on fundraising. I got the training. But during that time, Jenny basically raised the kids by herself. Um, She got a part-time job as well to help out. Um, She sold our house here in Raleigh. She found an apartment for us in Asheville. Uh, She figured out what what school the kids would go to and handled all that paperwork. Um, She made our house so welcoming for the launch team. She poured into the women of our launch team and the men and and, uh, made that kind of a community of people. And there's no way that I could have planted a church or led our family to do that without Jenny's giftings and without her wisdom and without her discernment and without her help. Sometimes godly submission means calling your husband to lead when he's not. Sometimes it means reminding your husband of the responsibilities that God has given him, making him get off the couch and stop being so complacent. So sometimes it could look like this. You look at the bank account and you're like, husband, get over here. See that number? That means we're broke. And he's like, all right, what are you going to do about it? And you say, that's not my job. That's yours. That's yours. That's your responsibility. You tell me. Or it could be, hey, Husband, look at our kids. They're hellions right now. They're horrible. And he's like, all right, what do you want to do about it? It's like, you tell me. That's not my job. That's your job. See, some of you have complacent husbands that aren't leading because you're so good at everything and you do everything. And sometimes you need to create a leadership vacuum where if he doesn't step up and step in, there's going to be some consequences. And he needs to feel that. And what I've seen is that when the weight of leadership falls on his shoulders, that tends to change him. 
oftentimes he will rise to that occasion, you see? So I could go on and on and on, but again, it looks so different in every single family. I, I, I can name couples where it looks like, man, she's the leader in the family and he's kind of quiet, but you get to know him. You're like, no, 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 it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, very different with, than other couples as well. But the truth is, is that this thing that we call submission, it's always easier said than done. Even when you have a Christ-like loving husband doing his part as best as he can, submission always includes this certain level of fear. It's always a little bit scary. Because wives, your husband is flawed. Some of you are nodding. I don't need to tell you that, okay? He's not going to make the right decision every time. He's not going to make the perfect decision every single time. And it can be scary to make a move or to change jobs or to change your kid's school with knowing there's a very real possibility that this is not going to work out. That this might not be the direction that God wants to take you. And I think that's why Peter gives us the example of Sarah. If you don't know uh, Sarah, she's the wife of Abraham. And uh, you can read their story starting in Genesis chapter 12. But she did not have a perfect husband, and she made mistakes as well. But she, she, she modeled this type of disposition. Uh, when their story picks up, Abraham basically comes home and says, Hey, Sarah, you never believe this. I just talked with God. And Sarah's like, which one? Because they're pagans. They have no idea of the one God of the universe. He's like, well, I just talked with uh, the one creator God, the sovereign God of the universe. Anyway, he just told me that we're going to sell our mansion here in the city and go on a camping trip in the desert. And she's like, okay, well, how long are we going to be doing this? And Abraham's like, well, he didn't specify, um, didn't really say. And she's like, okay, well, uh, where are we going? Where's the end result? Where's the destination? And Abraham's like, Again, not a very specific God, didn't tell me, but he did promise he would let me know when we got there. And, uh, and yet she goes. She packs up her things. She puts it all in the caravan, and they head out into the desert. And uh, she follows Abraham through crazy seasons where he made some big mistakes. And she got wrapped up in the consequences of that. And yet she always had this disposition, how can I help? How can I support you? How can I use my giftings to follow after God's call? And you know how she was able to do that? Day after day, year after year, decade after decade. Peter says it's because she was fearless. She didn't fear anything that was frightening. In fact, in Proverbs 31, which lists all these amazing attributes of a godly wife, it says in verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She looks at what could happen because of this decision. She looks at the future and what may or may not be the result, and she just laughs. She's not concerned at all. You see, this type of submission, it is impossible when you're afraid, when you're constantly thinking of, what if? What if this decision doesn't work out? What if he's leading us in a dumb area? What if he made a mistake here? What if this? What if that? It's only possible when you get rid of fear and you replace it with faith. So listen, to do this well, your trust, your hope, your faith, it cannot be in your husband. It has to be in your God. Because he's the one that ultimately controls your future. The future of your family, of your kids, of your marriage. I asked Jenny about this. I'm like, when you think of this term submission, like, isn't it scary to follow me in all these different areas? She's like, actually, I just remove you from the equation. <laughs> I'm just following hard after God. So God asked me to do this. That's what I'm doing. I don't even think about you anymore. And that's how she's able to do this because it's only possible when you put your faith in God. Uh, Peter says, be like the holy women of old whose hope was not in their husband, but in their God. 
And this is what Sarah did. And she's listed in the hall of faith, uh, the mighty people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, one of only two women. Because, um, and Peter says, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. In fact, when we get to heaven, I think every woman at some point is going to get together with other women and be like, man, can you believe how stupid that decision my husband made on earth? That was the dumbest thing ever. And yet, isn't it cool how God worked it out, how God led and how he protected and how he was sovereign? That's why I call it courageous submission, because that's what it takes. It takes courage. But there's another aspect of submission that maybe you have never thought before. And it's this aspect of compelling. It's attractive, but don't hear what I'm not saying. It makes Jesus attractive. There's, there's something about seeing someone submit and support that just draws people's attention. And this is important because all the wives here in this room, I know that not all of you are married to Christ followers. You aren't all married to men who are actively pursuing Jesus. And that can be a tough place as a wife. When your husband doesn't share the number one priority of your life. I get an email every single week from a wife saying, would you pray for my husband that he would begin a relationship with Jesus, that he would find the joy and contentment and purpose that I've found. So that's a hard place to be. And Peter knows this. And he says that one of the purposes of submission, one of, his, one of its effects is that it draws people to God. It draws people to Jesus. In fact, that's why Peter tells us to submit in all these different areas of our life. Submit to the governing authorities. Submit to your bosses so that when they see that, they're going to look towards God. They're going to eventually glorify God. And Peter says it's the same with marriage. He says, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see you respectful and pure conduct. And Peter says that when you submit, when you take on this disposition of here's all my rights, here's all my privileges, here's what I'm free to do, but I'm going to lay that down to support and partner, he says you actually put on a wordless sermon of the glory and the goodness and the beauty of Jesus. There's something beautiful about it that far surpasses even physical beauty. He says don't worry about adorning yourself externally, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And we hear that gentle and quiet, and you're like, I am woman, hear me roar. But he's not talking about a personality. In fact, those two words, you know who uses those two words to describe themselves? Jesus. Jesus does. In Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And I think we can all agree that there was something about Jesus that just drew people towards him. Something about his demeanor was just a magnet. Rich or poor, sinner or saint, everywhere he went, people just flocked to him. There was something attractive, something compelling about him. And Peter says that when you take on this demeanor of Jesus, this disposition of here's all my rights, here's my privileges, here's what I can and can't do, and I'm going to lay that down and prefer someone else, that this, is, this can attract your husband to Jesus and all the other people in your life as well. I was talking with a, a church planner friend of mine a few years ago, and he planted a church down south. And he was telling me the story. There was a woman that showed up to church for her first time one Sunday and immediately accepted Jesus. Like she was primed, she was ready, she came looking for a savior and she started this relationship with God and they were all excited. 
Well, come to find out, um, her husband was against religion. He was an ardent atheist. And so he, he hated the church. He hated Jesus. He hated the fact that she had started a relationship with Jesus. And so he actually sat her down and said, I forbid you to enter the doors of a church. You're not allowed to read a Bible. You're not allowed to hang out with Christian friends. You're not going to have anything to do with church. Now, what could she have done in that situation? She could have said, buddy, <laughs> I am a child of God. I am a daughter of the king and ain't no man going to get in my way of pursuing that relationship. But instead, she did something crazy. And actually, I don't encourage you to do this, but she chose to do this. She said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what I'm going to do. So she rarely attended church, only when her husband was out of town. Uh, she would read her Bible privately. Uh, she would go to coffee with Christian friends when she could, but that was about it. And so my church planner friend was kind of discouraged, but a few months went by and she showed up to church again for the first time in a while. And guess who was with her? Her husband. And he walked into church and before he, singing a worship song or hearing a sermon, he said, I want to hear about this Jesus and I want to start a relationship with him. And my pastor friend was like, well, what happened? And he said, it was completely my wife. And it wasn't because she preached at him. It wasn't because she argued with them. It wasn't because she tried to convince them. He said it was because she was so completely transformed after becoming Christian that he couldn't deny the power of the gospel. And he started a relationship with Jesus. See, it was attractive. And I'm not, how, I'm not sure how this attraction works. But I think it has something to do with how different submission is than the way the rest of the world acts and works. See, I don't know, but you, you can just look at Facebook, you can look at media, you can just look around, and what you'll see is a lot of people demanding rights, fighting for privileges. There's just this sense of unrest, this, this angry demand for approval and for dignity and for worth and for opportunities, and there's just this grasping for things. But what you see in the heart of a Christ follower is that all of those things that people demand and they fight for, Christians have already found those things in Jesus. So you want worth, you have it. You want approval, you have that. You want dignity, you want respect, you want rights, you want privileges. All of those are yours in Christ. And what we see in the Bible is that as Christ followers, we are free from demanding from others what we already have in Jesus what Jesus has already given us. So listen, as a Christian wife, do you have rights and privileges? Absolutely. But you also have the ability to occasionally lay those aside for the sake of others. Do you have privileges? Yes, but in Christ you can lay those down for the good of other people. And what you see is that Paul would say, elsewhere in the New Testament, is that as Christians, we are so free, we're not even a slave to our freedom. We can lay down certain rights and privileges for the good of others and the glory of God. And God uses that to shine a giant spotlight on Jesus somehow, some way. Something just happens when we submit, when we yield to others, when we set down our God-given rights for something else and for someone else, where the watching world says, how do they do that? I can't do that. They must have something that I don't. They must have found something that I haven't found yet. See? So this whole submission thing, we try to knock it. And it is, it's super countercultural, but it's, it's courageous, it's compelling. And it's a way that God can use you in his plan to save a lost world. And hopefully that's what you see. 
that women, you can be used in a huge way in God's plan. And really, all of our lives until Jesus comes back is about giving the world a perspective on the graciousness and glory and beauty and worth and mercy and grace and gentleness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you focus on this and tell your part of the story well, God's going to use it. He's going to use it. But the choice, um, it's ultimately up to you. Am I going to need this? No? You're good? I'll take it with me just in case. Um, So, um, I'm going to close in prayer. Um, And at the end, uh, we are going to share with you a little bit about um, what we have in store during this Christmas season. And you're like, it's a little too early. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. Well, in a city that has its Christmas parade the week before Thanksgiving, I think that it is appropriate. So, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll um, listen to Jason. So, Thank you guys for listening. I love you guys. I mean that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that it's given in love and that it's true. Um, I pray that it finds ready soil in the hearts um, of women and of men. Father, I pray as husbands that we would make it our aim um, to make this duty of a Christian wife just a privilege and a joy. And I do pray for all the women here. Um, I thank you that many of them are married to men that are chasing hard after you. I pray for the ones who aren't. It's a hard place to be. Um, But your strength is enough. And uh, you turn beauty from ashes. And we know that you can work in that situation. Um, So, uh, yeah, I just pray that your word would be received, that it would be applied, and that you would get glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.